why was I going to coach if I didn't believe in this win at all cost coaching style? Why, why did I want to coach? And oh my God, it was so clear to me that not just gymnastics, but all of athletics, I feel is a masterclass in teaching really, really, really tough life lessons that you don't learn in the classroom. And I it was like, bing, I got it. I'm going to train, I'm going to develop young women into becoming champions in life. They're going to go out and make the world a better place. And I'm going to use the platform of sport to do this. So the last few years, literally, when people kept asking me, um, you know, what do you do? And I go, I, I develop superheroes. Hi, and welcome to Recky Perfection. I'm your host, Rochelle Inay, singer-songwriter and recovering perfectionist. I started this podcast on a mission to figure out how we can raise brave kids, but quickly learned that one of the most important ways we can do this is by being brave ourselves. So on this show, you'll hear stories from courageous humans who figured out how to embrace failure and imperfection and live in alignment with their true selves. To me, if every person were to fully embrace their innately imperfect humanness, we would see a world that's less power-hungry and more kind, we would find more solutions to some of the world's biggest challenges, and we would live happier and more fulfilled lives, knowing that we are enough exactly as we are, not because of anything external like beauty or success. If you struggle with being hard on yourself when you mess up, which we all do by the way, comparing yourself with others, getting stuck in the creative process because of a tough inner critic, or you're simply tired of trying to stay on the hamster wheel that is this beauty and success culture, I'm here to help you stop, get off, breathe, and realize that you are enough right here, right now. From this place of enoughness, we can bring kindness and compassion to ourselves and to the young people in our lives, helping them to realize their own enoughness. I believe that when kids and grown-ups learn that mistakes are okay, they're able to embrace failure and live more courageously. On this week's episode of Recce Perfection, I have the honor of speaking with Coach Valerie Condos Field, also known as Miss Val. She's the former head coach of the UCLA women's gymnastics team, and despite never having done gymnastics in her life, she led her team to seven NCAA team championships, was inducted into the UCLA Athletics Hall of Fame, and was voted Pac-12 Coach of the Century. In this interview, you're going to hear real talk about how she transformed herself from a dictating leader into a curious and supportive coach, how she created an atmosphere of encouragement and trust, and what it means to redefine success and create champions in life. She is one of the most incredible people on this planet, and I can't wait for you to hear the light that this woman is. So let's get to the show. Coach Valerie Condos Fields, um, thank you so much for um, joining me today on the show. Thank you. I'm really excited to talk with you because I feel like you get me. I feel like you complete me. No, just kidding. (laughs) And it's it's going to be a great conversation. Oh, awesome. And I know a lot of people call you Miss Val. Is it okay if I call you that? Please. Thank you. All right. So Miss Val, I'd love to start with learning about your history and how it's led you to the work you do now. Okay. So back in the growing up, I was a ballet dancer. I've never done gymnastics. And back in the 1970s, 80s, I started actually working for a gym as their piano player because floor music floor music could only be one instrument. And so I was 16 years old and I won a summer job. And I called the local gym and asked them if they needed a dance coach and they said they couldn't afford one. But then they found out I played the piano. What? And I had no idea you were a musician too. <laughs> oh, amazing. Yeah. Uh, so I started back before 1980 floor music for gymnastics was only one instrument. It was usually a piano and we had compulsories. And a lot of times the compulsories were played live. So that's how I got started in this whole thing. Wow. And then 1982, I was dancing professionally and I had not gone to college yet. I was 22 years old. And uh, I heard that UCLA needed a dance coach for their gymnastics team. And I always wanted to go back to school. So I, literally called up the head coach, gave up my credentials, and they offered me a full scholarship to go to UCLA uh, to be their choreographer and their gymnastics coach and their dance coach, excuse me. And 
I graduated from UCLA and then the Wait, this is insane. Wait, so you got you got a scholarship to go to college at the same time as you got a job. Just because you you just put yourself out there like when you were how old? Twenty two. That's incredible. I just want to acknowledge that. That that is the big that's the big lesson in all of this. That I was at UCLA for thirty seven years. I ended up being the head coach. They asked me to be the head coach. I figured out how to do it, um, a long and bumpy road, but I figured it out. And the whole thing started because I wasn't afraid to pick up the phone and make the ask. Mm. People have asked me, you know, how did I have that much courage? And I really believe I. it was because I had an incredible mom, parent, who never made me or my brother feel like we failed at anything. If we made mistakes, you know, it was like, so what? It's called life. Pick yourself up and figure out how to have a better result the next time. I don't, I don't remember growing up with what this quote, fear of failure. Like, I don't believe in the term failure at all. Because um, I always feel that if you've learned something from your quote unquote failure, if you've learned what not to do or what to do differently next time, that's growth. And anytime you have growth, it can't be failure. So failure needs to get out of our lexicon. We don't need that word. I a hundred percent agree. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, as I said, I mean, I fast forwarded through all of that, but when I was offered the head coaching job, I literally had no clue what I was doing. I knew it would be easy to hire really good assistant coaches that knew about gymnastics because, remember, I've never, ever done gymnastics. That's the best part of this. (laughs) The best part is actually the video of me two years ago. I was 58, and I was out for a hike with my girlfriend, and she said, it was my birthday. She goes, I'm sick and tired of hearing you say, you've never gone upside down. So let's do a And I, I attempted a cartwheel. Oh my gosh, it was horrible. And my bum came right down in front of the camera. And you hear my girlfriend say, that was pathetic. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, she really called you out. Yeah. We need friends like that. I told you I've never got upside down. Um, But the next important lesson that I learned in all of this was when I did accept the job as a head coach. Um... You know, I said I could I could hire people to teach the gymnastics part, but what I quickly realized was I had no idea what a team culture should look like. You know, I grew up on stage. There's it's not like a team culture, um, and I really didn't know what I was doing at all. And so I I did what I thought was prudent, and I mimicked other head coaches who had been successful. Successful meaning who had won. Yeah. And in my mind, that meant the coaches, like I had this vision of a coach in my mind that was the classic bullish, belittling, tough-minded, tough-talking, you know, strutting around with a frown on their face and dictator. Mm. That's, and I literally remember thinking, well, I grew up on stage. I can act like that. Let's just play coach, play head coach, you know, act it. Mm-hmm. So I did. It was horrible, and I was horrible. And I've since had conversations with the student-athletes who were on my team then, and they say I was horrible and bullish and demeaning. And um, they've stopped short of using that word abusive, thankfully. But, uh, you know, verbal verbal demeaning is abuse. Yeah. And... I didn't, it's not like I didn't want to be like that. I didn't know any different. I honestly didn't. And it was not until I happened upon the great John Wooden, his definition of success that says success is peace of mind, which is a direct result in knowing that you become the best you're capable of becoming. And that was his definition of success. That is so good. Success is peace of mind in knowing you've done your best. And I was like, this makes zero sense to me. 
He was hailed as one of the greatest, if not the greatest coach that ever lived. He won 10 championships in 12 years. We're hired as coaches to win, right? I'm not yeah. hired to be their friend, their mentor, their second mom, their psychologist. I'm hired to win. Yeah. And why doesn't he mention winning? And so I kept reading his definition over and over and over again. And then it was like, big aha moment. Success is peace of mind and knowing that you have done your best. And I realized I'd been trying to be somebody else by mimicking these other coaches. I had been trying to be them. And first of all, whenever you try to be somebody else, you'll never be as good at them being them as they are. So you'll always be a second rate them, right? Yeah. Secondly, it prevents you from becoming a first rate you. And I remember having this juxtaposition inside of me where I was mortified of how I'd been coaching as a head coach, but I was also giggling that thank God that none of what I had been trying to become resonated with me. So if I was going to stay as a coach, as the head coach, if I was going to keep that position, why was I going to do it? And that's a little catchphrase now, these last few years that's come about is what's your why? Know your why. So I had to figure out why was I going to coach if I didn't believe in this win at all cost coaching style? Why, why did I want to coach? Yeah. And oh my God, it was so clear to me that not just gymnastics, but all of athletics, I feel as a masterclass in teaching really, really, really tough life lessons that you don't learn in the classroom. And I it was like, bing, I got it. I'm going to train, I'm going to develop young women into becoming champions in life. They're going to go out and make the world a better place. And I'm going to use the platform of sport to do this. So the last few years, literally, when people kept asking me, um, you know, what do you do? And I go, I, I develop superheroes. <laughs> Through the sport of gymnastics. <laughs> or maybe help them realize their own superhero-ness. <laughs> right. Yeah. Think about superheroes. They're all different, you know. Yeah. Superheroes are to be like each other. Ooh, this is good. I never thought about this. <laughs> Think about that. Batman wasn't trying to be Superman. And Superwoman wasn't trying to be Superman. They all had their own little shtick. That's true. And like using that, like knowing your strengths, I think we don't really know our strengths enough. I mean, we focus so much on our weaknesses and we're like, oh, I'm bad at this. And then somebody compliments us and we freak out. Like, it's like, no, like own your strengths, own your awesomeness and like that inner superhero. Absolutely. Yeah. We, I don't know when this all started that we all felt that we just had to be so down on ourselves constantly and nothing's ever good enough. What I think is interesting is that you like wanted to win, you know, who's, who doesn't want to win. And that, that was like your job, what you were being paid to do as coach. And, uh, it was interesting that when you were focusing only on winning, that wasn't, going well but then as soon as you stopped focusing on winning it sounds like you started winning is that right yeah we did you connect those dots very well uh yeah because when we were when i was focusing on winning there was no connection with the team and you know, like i said earlier there was no there was probably a culture it just wasn't very healthy and there wasn't any sense of getting each other's backs or I'm sure the athletes didn't feel that I had their backs. Um, and it wasn't until I really started fortifying them as whole human beings that they felt that I cared about them more than just winning a national championship. And that's when the synergy started happening of this, this collective energy toward a common goal. And I've noticed you know, in the many, many years that I, I was the head coach for 29 years. And I noticed that about halfway through the season, when the team started taking accountability, not just for themselves, but for each other, when they started saying, you know what I saw last night, I mean, you were posting like at 2am, 
you know we had workout at 8 a.m. We know, what are you doing? We're trying to win a championship. When they started holding each other accountable is literally when the magic happened. See, that's amazing because I think that as that kind of more like mean style of coaching or you feel like you have to be so strict, you feel like, like I feel like that trust isn't there because you're basically saying like, I'm going to drive you hard. And I like almost like the standard that you have to have for them. But like letting them have that accountability is showing them that you trust them to own their shit, you know? <laughs> right. Right. You need to give people the tools to be successful. So, I mean, think about this. The only reason any one of us needs a coach in our life is to accomplish something we can't do on our own. So the coach of the UCLA gymnastics team, I was the head coach. I, what was my job to give them the tools to be the best that they can be. And then as any good coach, leader, parent, I mean, Abraham Lincoln said, the worst thing you can do for someone are those things that they can and should do on their own by themselves. Mm. And so I think it's such great parenting advice. You give your children the tools and then you take your hands off the steering wheel and you let them make mistakes and pick themselves up and figure it out. And in fact, there have been studies that the best way to coach is not to give a, a response every single turn that the athlete does but to let them take five, six, seven turns, let them figure it out, that actually produces a better athlete. Because then they're developing that self-trust. Yes, yes, yeah. I was just talking with a nutritionist the other day who's got young children, and she said the same thing. She said, you know, when my children were growing up, um, as soon as they became seven years old, they were responsible for their breakfast and their lunch. And they could pack anything they wanted she says, but in the, in her refrigerator, she had a box that had the protein and the carbs and the fruits and vegetables. And she told them, you know, if, if you really want to be healthy and have energy, then you're going to take one from each box. But it's your choice. Hmm. And she said her son, you know, didn't take anything from any box. And he went straight to the sweets and was coming home tired and lethargic and moody. And she says, I just kept telling him, I'm, I'm educating you as how to not feel like that, but you're not making the right choices. And she said, I could have forced him, like I could have packed his lunch for him. Mm -hmm. She says, but what's that teaching him? And she said, eventually she says after it didn't even take a year for him to start making better decisions. And then literally when he's like eight, nine years old, he understands why food is fuel. Wow. How cool is that? That's incredible. I've never heard of doing that. Yeah. And you mentioned parenting in your TED Talk as well. You talk about um, like shifting away from focusing on the end result um, and like more towards the actual experience that our kids and our young people are experiencing. And I'm wondering like, what are, this, what are some of the questions that sh we should be asking um, in order to kind of shift away from that end result? Well, I think, first of all, parents need to uh, really know that you as a parent and if you're co-parenting, that you're on the same page. And what is your definition of success for your children? And so is it getting into an Ivy League school? Is it getting a scholarship to a D1 university? Is it being graduating with honors or is it? your child coming home excited what he learned in science today? Is it that your, your child came home and said, oh my gosh, our team did this, not I did that. Um, what are your goals as a parent? Okay, mm -hmm. so most parents are gonna say they want their children to be well-rounded and healthy, happy and strong and developed in all these areas, mentally, emotionally and physically, but a lot of parents' actions don't match their words. A lot of parents, once they get into the game, the soccer game, become the quote unquote soccer parent and are yelling from the bleachers to go get the ball. And then as soon as the kid gets in the car, 
they're on them. Why didn't you score when you had the ball down there? And and it just becomes all about the score, all about the win. And honestly, I don't blame them because that's the culture that we've created is so, so focused on success and thinking, you know, we want our kids to be successful. So then we focus on success because we're like, well, that's how they're going to be happy in life. So I think it's it's just a product of the culture. But that's why you have to redefine success. Yeah. We all have to read. We all do. And this is the this is the genesis of my TED talk is mm-hmm. that I didn't I wasn't passionate about putting my TED talk out there. Why, why all winning doesn't equal success. I wasn't passionate about talking about this win at all cost culture simply because I have this Pollyanna worldview. I was passionate about putting out there because all of the reports, every Every bit of research that is coming back says our children, our youth are more stressed, depressed, anxious, and suicide rates have skyrocketed because of the pressure that is put on them from parents and coaches. And so if like I'm in the world of athletics with gymnastics, especially, and I'm really vocal about changing this culture, this abusive culture that's out there. And I do want to say the majority of the gyms out there are amazing. They have great coaches that are doing wonderful jobs, but you don't hear about those. You hear about the abuse worldwide, and it has been, it has been a culture of abuse in, in all sport. In order for that to change, the parents have to say, time's up, not with my kid, you're not. The parents have to. The judge, Judge Aquilina, that overheard all the impact statements from the gymnasts that told their impact statements about being sexually abused by Larry Nassar two years ago, she tells a great story of her daughter, a teenager, and she took her daughter to cheerleading and that, you know, there was no parents allowed in the cheerleading practice. And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to stay and watch what's going on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she saw the verbal abuse. She confronted the coach later and said, you're not going to talk to my daughter like that. And the coach just said, you know, I don't care if you're a judge or not. Um, this is how we win. And she said, pulled, pulled her child out of it. And the child went kicking and screaming, of course. But what a great lesson for parents to say, time's up, coaches. You will not talk to my child or any of the children on this team like this. So... We have to be, we have to redefine success and we have to continue to prove that you can develop young boys and girls into the best athletes in the world without compromising the human spirit. Mm. Yeah. And, and you've talked about people, you know, gymnasts coming to you, coming to UCLA and how they were already broken. And so many of them were like incredibly successful. They'd won so many times. But what did that get for them? They were broken. No, that's the big question, at what cost? Yeah. At what cost? Um, I just taught a class at UCLA on transforming, transformative coaching and leadership. It was a really fun class because we studied a different successful coach of different sports for 10 weeks. And one of the weeks we studied Bobby Knight, who best infamous basketball coach one 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 mm. and infamous is the word not famous infamous um but when you read anything about bobby knight um, like within the first three pages you had his players saying yeah i want it but what cost yeah i have all these rings but at what cost and a few of them a few athletes are a few a few children are able a few people because it's not just children, are able to be with a bullish leader. And I had that I I read this great analogy the other day that I want to share. Yes. It's like when someone comes at you and attacks you verbally, if you're able to take in that information as a sieve, as if you're a sieve and not a sponge. And so the sieve keeps the things that are important for you to learn and grow from, but let all of the bullish 
demeaning words, verbiage that's being used. Let that go through the sieve. Wait, what is a sieve? I don't actually know. <laughs> like a colander, you know, that has holes in the bottom. So like when you wash the lettuce, all the dirt comes out, but the nutrients stay in the lettuce. Okay. Right? Um, and, and I think that's the right word. Yeah. Sieve. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that was brilliant instead of a sponge. Because just because your coach or your boss or your leader is not a good communicator doesn't mean that they don't have something of value to share with you. So unless it's really egregious and like horrible verbiage, if they're just being like abrasive, that's okay. Then just figure out what they're trying to say. Don't take the rest of it personally and let the let the bad tone that they're using fall through the sieve. Because that's more about them than it is about you. Absolutely. Oh, it's always about them. Whenever somebody is being bullish, it comes from their own place of insecurity. It's all about them. It's not about you. And so, you know, I think that that's, that's one reason why this verbal abuse is so rampant in sports is because we are all flawed individuals. And so here, regardless of what age you're coaching, you have these young men and women, boys and girls that are attentive to you as the coach. And you literally, as a coach, you feel bigger than life. And you just get to dictate and, and have your little fiefdom out there. Um, it's, it's a power play. It totally is a power play. Uh, but that power play comes from my own insecurities. And the more secure I got with myself and the more I, the more internal assessment I did, the more clear I became with my why of why I wanted to coach and the more clear it became of how I wanted to go about achieving all of that. And I didn't allow myself as I got later on in my years, I didn't allow myself to be bullish and to say snarky things that were hurtful because that, that did not support my coaching philosophy. Yeah. And it, I love that you talk about your personal transformation. And I, I think that's what makes you especially courageous because, you know, that takes real vulnerability to be like, yeah, I was kind of horrible to my team and, and I just didn't want to do that anymore. And like you owning up to that and you doing that personal transformation allowed for that whole human being, allowed for you to show up as a whole human being and create a space then where other people can show up. And that I just think getting down to the humanity, it's like not just transforming your work, but it's it's probably transformed, I'm guessing, other relationships for you. Is that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Every relationship that I had has gotten better. The more work I do in myself, <laughs> the better my relationships are. <laughs> um, but you know, you look at, you look at bullish parents that are demeaning and say horrible things to their children. I, I would just like to ask them, what's your end goal here? Because if your end goal is to teach your child to do something differently, you're not, you, there's a better way to go about it because by you being mean and bullish and demeaning and snarky with them even if you think it's a joke all that's doing is making your child feel horrible about themselves and they're putting that wall up because there's no way your child can feel that you're on the same page no way so if you're going to continue doing that parent coach leader whomever could you at least admit that it's all about you and your ego <laughs> At least just admit that. That's the and, hardest part. <laughs> no, it is. And that's what happened with me is that I had like, I, I, I have a really sarcastic wit sense of humor that I think is really funny. And what happened was our, my team, as I mentioned, the Ted talk sat me down for two straight hours and gave me example after example, after example of everything that I said and did that, I thought was funny, snarky, you know, built me up as this 
as this uh, fearless leader. And they were like, you know what? It's not funny. And, and on any given day, most of us are going through something stressful, whether it's because of family or school or boyfriends or girlfriends, whatever. And we just want a safe space where we can come and train hard and be collected as a team and get 1% better without having to put up with and block your snarky comments. And so I remember thinking in that meeting, I can say, well, thank you for sharing what you shared, but guess what? I'm the head coach and I'm going to coach any way I want. Or I can say, I, one of my quotes that I love is you've not taught until they have learned. And so if I really want them to learn, I need to put my ego, my snarkiness aside. And that's what I chose to do. Uh, and you know, it still would slip out. My sense of humor would still slip out. And I can tell you, I can just see their little faces. You know, every single time I said something that I thought was funny, even if they did giggle or laugh to get on my good side or something like that, it still was hurtful. Yeah. And I think that ultimately, as you became more open and vulnerable and human, that kind of allowed you to not have those tough defense mechanisms because you were you were okay with being seen too right and part of the reason why i became okay part of the transformation came from me getting breast cancer and being so grateful that the treatment i got worked and that i got to live more days and I was so grateful of the days and the time that I had with these young women I was coaching and our coaching staff. And so everything I did came from a place of gratitude versus how am I going to figure out how to win? Yeah. Wow. That's powerful. I didn't even realize you went through that. Yeah, I did. Uh, six years ago. Um, and yeah, I didn't put that part in the TED talk because it would have been too, <laughs> but it was, uh, that going through breast cancer was the most transformative thing that has happened in my life because it, I will never, ever forget when my doctor told me if I'd been diagnosed merely 10 years ago, they had absolutely nothing for me. And because I was diagnosed the year that I was, if I chose to get chemotherapy for a year and surgery, they knew it would work. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't have to get chemotherapy. I get to get chemotherapy because I live at a time as the chemo. And I was so excited to go through this horrific process of chemotherapy because I actually lived at a time that had the chemo that I called going to chemotherapy, chemotherapy my chemo spa. And every other Thursday, I'd tell my, my team, you're not going to be here Thursday. I'm going to my chemo spa. And a few of the girls would say, Miss Val, you know, you really don't have to put that positive spin on it because we know it's it's horrible. And I said, it's giving me more days. How oh, my cool. gosh, that's incredible. You just get better and better. <laughs> yeah. So it was. Uh, and then, you know, another thing that I speak to a lot is switching that one word in your brain have to to get to it changes yes. how you go about everything in your life yes because you always always have a choice always in everything that you do and I and I think that yeah when we're living in like that victim sort of mentality uh, have to do this when you flip it and you're like well what would I rather be doing like what do I want to be doing and it's like oh i actually want to go do the thing that i'm about to do <laughs> right yeah well and it's it's very simple to flip it it's like I, I hate doing laundry but you know what i get to do laundry because i can actually afford clothes and a washer and dryer and i don't have to keep saving my quarters to go down the laundromat anymore but oh my gosh this is so exciting i could do laundry in my own home how cool is that you know, I find it so interesting in all of this, and it, it kind of circles back to when I started this podcast thinking about 
how do we raise and teach brave kids, like, and wholehearted kids, um, to use Brene Brown's, you know, words, I love her, um, I definitely want to have her on the podcast one day, (laughs) but I, I very quickly realized that, like, it's not about a certain formula of what we say and what we do to them, it's about our own transformation so that we're showing up for our young people. I agree with you. Quite often leaders, head coaches, parents feel that they need to have all the answers and they can't be wrong. And I feel the exact opposite. I feel a great leader is someone who models the behavior that they want those people whom they're leading to, to establish. And so, like I said earlier, I had a great mom and she modeled what it was like to apologize for doing something sincerely without making it this big elaborate ordeal. But I remember my mom asking me to do something and I was telling her that, you know, mom, it's not, it's not going to work like that. And she kept coming at me going, yes, it is. Just do what I ask you to do. Just do what I ask you to do. And I was like, mom, just listen. Okay. If I do it like that, like you're asking me to do, it's not going to work because this, 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 this. And she went, oh my gosh, you're right. I'm so sorry. Okay. Let's not do that. Let's do something else. And it was that quick. You know, it wasn't like we had to sit down and have this whole apology love fest. It was simple. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. Those four words are so powerful. Ah. When I, uh, one of the greatest gymnasts that ever lived, Jamie Dancher, when she came and was a freshman, it was like, I think the first week she was at UCLA and, and the same exact thing happened. She, I was asking her to do a leap combination on floor. She kept telling me it's not going to work. I kept saying, Jamie, just try it. You know, stop fucking the system. Just try it, Jamie. And she kept saying this foul. It's not going to work because I land on my right foot, but I need to take off on my right foot for the, other, for the next leap. So it's not going to work. Physically, it's not going to work. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. And she stopped dead cold. And she said, what'd you say? I said, I'm sorry. You're right. And she said, I've never heard those words come out of a coach's mouth. Oh, my God. Oh, my <laughs> God. What a moment. <laughs> I, I wish your audience could see you. You are literally, she has both of her hands over her eyeballs. <laughs> keeping her face from exploding right now (laughs) (laughs) I think I think that's so that I because I've heard um like I I have interviewed someone about about parenting specifically and she talked about apologizing to your kids and I also freaked out because I was like whoa I I don't think I've ever experienced that (laughs) yeah But doesn't that make sense? If you are trying to raise this amazing young human being, it's more important that you model the behavior that you want them to have than be the parent that has all the answers. And I actually feel that that's one thing that really played into my favor as a head coach was because I didn't know anything. I had to ask a hundred questions a day. And so when I had an athlete up on beam and she fell and she would come to me instead of me, dictating to her, you know, well, this is what you did wrong. And this is what you need to do. And me being the authoritative figure and her being the little peon athlete, it became this mutual ground of let's figure this out together. So when she would fall on beam, come over and say, what did I do wrong? I'm like, well, let's start with what were you thinking about before you went? What did you feel on the skill? What do we need to do, know technically to do it better the next time? And what can you say to yourself up there to get a better, more positive result? And so you work on it together. And like we were talking about earlier, when people feel appreciated and they feel that they are part of the solution, they're going to be more invested. And so if you have a child that you are struggling with right now, especially being homebound, who does not want to study, the more you say, well, you have to sit there and study, they're not going to do it. We, I mean, I've been there. I'm not going to do it. You tell me to do it. I'm not going to do it. But, <laughs> but as a parent, if you said, okay, listen, I know this sucks. I know you'd rather be at school in class, but we can't right now. But guess what? You have to study these. you got to spend this many hours today on these lessons. So when do you want to do it? In which room do you want to do it? And do you want someone there with you helping you? 
or do you want to do it in 30 minute increments? What do you want to do? And as soon as I, I just feel it's human nature, as soon as we are respected to have a voice there, then we're invested in the process and the outcome. Yes. And oh, kids are no different. You know, kids, kids do not need to be dictated to. Well, and, and we can't possibly know like what they need. Like they, they do have to tell us just like as adults, we, you know, we can't show up at a job and, and expect our, our boss is going to like know everything that we need to support us. Like, because we're all unique and we have different sets of needs. And so, yeah, like you're saying, you can't have all the answers and just accepting like my kid is going to be my teacher. My like person that I'm coaching is also my teacher. They're like, I'm learning from them and it's like a, a co-collaborative process. Right. Yeah. I think parents too often feel that their job is to fix their children and they don't need to fix their children. We don't, I don't need to fix my athletes. I need to figure out the best solution for them to be, go through the process, being healthy, mentally, emotionally, and physically, and continue to grow. And get better and better and better and never see the end result is not the national championship that's just another fun competition there's the end result is at the end of your life being able to have no regrets and you talk about the idea of developing champions in life mm-hmm. is that part of what what that definition is for you yeah yeah and, and, and you know how do you define a champion in life a champ like <clears throat> When I think of the, all the different athletes that I coached over the years, there are those athletes that are great athletes that, that check off all the boxes. They do all the things they're supposed to do to be the best gymnast they can be. Then they're great athletes. Then there are athletes that check off all the boxes, make sure they're doing the best that they can do but also bring their teammates into the equation. There are those athletes that understand that together we are stronger than any one of us individually. Those are the athletes that go from being a great athlete to being a champion. Mm. And (laughs) these are my three stages. (laughs) Someone's book on this. And then there are those great athletes that have become champions by embracing their team and encouraging their team and inspiring their team. And they're the ones then that when a teammate falls, they go lift them up. They step out of their own ego and they're out of their own space and go across the gym to where that athlete is needing help and lift them up. And those are the superheroes. Yeah. And creating that, that space of just encouragement, like, because like I'm thinking back to when you were talking about taking out that piece of verbal, you know, maybe call it abuse or call it um, just, you know, demeaning. But when you start to shift that language into positive, you know, motivation, encouragement, they learn not only to encourage themselves because they have somebody who's like, you're awesome. They're like, oh yeah, I am awesome. But then they go and they model that for their teammates and they're like, yeah, like, I, I don't know. I just feel like it's just encouragement everywhere. Like you talk about the human spirit and it just feels so uplifting. That is absolutely true. And I think people shy away from conversations like this because they think that what we're talking about is all this warm and fuzzy and that where does the accountability come in? But so many coaches will say, that the way they coach from an abusive platform, they don't even call it abuse, um, but how they talk to their athletes, even grabbing them you know, behind the neck and squeezing their neck, whatever, <clears throat> making them do unbelievable amounts of conditioning if they made one mistake. They call that tough love. That's not tough love, that's, that's abuse. Tough love is helping someone achieve their best. And how do you do that is you set realistic parameters for them and then you hold them accountable Mm. so you know if i mean yeah my job was to win and i wanted to win champ i want to win every championship we ever went on every we ever competed in but if i have an athlete who's just not figuring it out on being then i'm going to say 
okay, well, first of all, I don't know what's in your head, but I think your head's getting in the way. I think that you've got massive negative mental choreography going up there. Oh, mental choreography. That's good. (laughs) You're the only one that knows that and you're the only one that can change it. But everything that I know is the mind is the most powerful muscle that we have. And if you're making that many mistakes up there and you're not competing with a flow, something negative is going on in your brain and it's up to you. So, but as a coach, it's my job to help figure out how to inspire and motivate that athlete to want to change the difference between dictating and motivating. And so if I can't see what's going on in your head, but every time you get up on beam, you look like a nervous wreck. Obviously, you've got negative mental choreography going on, which I can't prove, but I need to hold you accountable to it. I need to hold you accountable to change by motivating you to want to change. And so the way I found to do that was let's just play games, okay? I want you to go up on beam and I want you to do half of a beam routine and I want you the whole time you're up there to tell yourself, don't fall, don't fall, don't fall, don't fall. Okay. And then they would go up and they would fall like five times. Then I would, I mean, this is like every single time for 30 years I did this. Then I want you to go up on beam and I want you to say, I suck, I suck, I suck. I'm not any good at this. And even if they stayed on the beam, they would wobble all over the place. It was horrible. Okay. Then I want you to go up on the beam. I want you to say, oh, this is fun. This is fun. And they would go up on beam and they would still wobble all over the place. Okay, now I want you to go up on beam, do that same routine, but I want you to say before every single spill you do, I got this. I'm great. I got this. And even if they made a mistake, they were able to recover much better and get back into a positive zone so that they didn't make a second mistake. That's that's the big thing that I used to look for in, in my athletes. I don't care if you make a mistake, but are you going to make a second one because you're you're having a pity party? Yeah. That's not helping you or your team? Yeah, and and I think you know, it's spot on talking about that mental piece of it is so big and it's not just gymnastics, like it's it's everything. I mean, I work with voice students and it's like 90% of singing is just mental. Like and and really all performance like it's all a mental game and that's why i think that this idea i mean it's important for a lot of reasons but it is a bit silly then when you think about this to be like focused on what you see you know and what that end score is or did they win or did they not win it's like it's not about that it's about all the things that are going on inside, you know, internally. Um, and, and you can't, and you can't do well. And I think that's what people, um, I think that's what's so lovely to hear of your success, you know, in this is that, you know, you've been able to get into this more, what people might think of as, oh, you know, it's, you're being soft or whatever, but it's like, this is actually just proven to work you know it has yeah it has and and even with the great athletes that we had uh kyla ross she would come in and she was technically great i mean she was an olympic gold medalist uh but when she may would make mistakes it would eat her up so badly that it took her a long time to recover and so i started just telling her reminding her stop trying to be perfect and just shoot for excellence because in excellence you allow yourself to make a few mistakes and i this is another reason why i think sport is such a great master class in life is that the time that you take from failure to recovery is crucial and in sport in competition you have to learn how to minimize that time from making mistake to recovery, failure recovery. And so you think of like a quarterback of a football team who throws a pass that's nowhere near the receiver. Well, if he takes a long time to recover for the next play, he's going to screw up the next play, the next play. 
and it's going to have this downward spiral for the team. His, that's why athletes need to really work on their failure recovery. And the best way to do that is to not assign judgment to the failure. This reminds me so much of something I saw in a different TED Talk. I love TED Talks. Uh, this educator who had a student who had a 20-question quiz, and they missed 18 of them. And instead of putting a big old F on there, she put plus two. And and he was like, um, does, does this, why did you put plus two? Doesn't this mean that I failed? And she's like, you didn't get them all wrong. You were on a roll. And you're going to do better next time, aren't you? And he was like, yeah, I am going to do better next time. And I did. Like, that's yeah. what, like, it's so, it's such a different mindset. Right. And that's all we're talking about. If the, if the teacher was teacher, teaching from their ego, they would have given him a big fat F. But the teacher was teaching from a place of teaching. I, I need to teach this, this person to do better. How am I going to motivate them to do better next time? Not by slapping them down and making them feel like dog crap. And it's, you know, something you just said about teaching uh, voice uh, vocals. You're a voice teacher. Yeah, it's one thing that I do. That's awesome. Um, so I told you that I started playing the piano for gymnastics, for gymnastics routines. I am a really good pianist, but I've never learned how to quiet my inner mind to play in front of people. To this day, I've been playing since I was seven years old. I'm 60. I can coach you on that if you want. Okay, okay. Yeah. If someone is in the house and I am playing the piano, every part of my body stiffens up. I, to the point that I can't even see the notes. Everything is so stiff. I'm not even enjoying the music. And if I'm by myself in the house, the music literally takes over. Wow. Yeah. I would love to coach you on that. <laughs> Let's do it. Awesome. I'm excited. <laughs> How to train a 60-year-old to change her mindset. When all I talk about is the power of the mind, and you'd think I'd be able to do this. What we It's just, what I love about this moment is, like, you're so vulnerable at every turn. You're so real. And it's like, yeah, you have coached Olympic gold medalists and then you're like yeah and i struggle with this thing and like we all do like no matter how awesome you know we appear from the out it's like we just have our inner battles and and i did work with someone um who he came to me and he had said how he'd never sung since he was seven years old because he had a um he was in a catholic choir and the nun told him just mouth the words and, and he was so embarrassed and thought that his voice was bad that he didn't sing. And I asked him, what about in the car? No. What about in the shower? No. What about at sporting events? No. Nothing. He had not uttered a sound, you know, trying to sing. And he just wanted to sing. And I don't know, like, you know, at what age he was at, but later adult years. And he sings now and he's writing and he's recording an album and he loves it and it's and he's performing and i just think it's a gift you know that you give yourself when you allow yourself to say screw what story somebody told me about me i'm gonna do this for me right yeah and that's kind of what i what i felt going through cancer was you go through something like that and you realize we all have an expiration date. We just don't know when ours is. And so it's like that young man that you talked about, how sad would it have been had he died without ever enjoying his voice? And that's one reason why I keep playing the piano is because I want, I want to break through this. And it's funny that, remember I said earlier that the athletes that go from good to great are those that don't assign judgment to themselves. Well, my husband's the nicest human on the planet. And so when I play, even if, when, like, when I make mistakes, if he just passes by, he'll say, my love, that's so pretty. And it's like, it's still judgment. Don't say anything. <laughs> but that's because you're judging yourself. Right. We're going to work with this. We're going to work right. with this. <laughs> right. Pretend like I'm not here and just don't say anything. 
Oh, it's 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 a great conundrum to have because like that nun for that young man that said don't sing, don't mouth just mouth it. When I was young, I had ballet teachers that said, You don't have the best technique, but you can dance. And so I won't play the piano for anybody, but I'll get up and dance for anyone, anytime, anywhere, in the grocery store. And I don't care if I make mistakes, I don't care if I fall, I could care less. I just want to see you dance at the grocery store now. <laughs> I do. If there's music on, I'm dancing. Mm-hmm. And I love it when like I bebop by somebody and they start jiving with me. I'm like, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yep. You're like the ghoulist. Can I just tell you that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we we all we all need to band together and just make this world a better place. Especially now, you know. Um I, I read something that I want to share with you. I just read it this morning on Instagram that happiness is the new rich, that inner peace is the new success, that health is the new wealth, and that kindness is the new cool. And I just feel like with everything that we're all going through, that is so true. Let's just get over ourselves and figure out how to make our community a better place. I could just end it right there. That was like the perfect last words. (laughs) (laughs) I... I'm loving this conversation. I know our time's coming to a close, so I want to honor that. And um, I just want to ask, I know that you have a book out um, and I know you have this amazing presence. I just want to direct people as to where to find you. Thank you very much. I appreciate doing that. I do have a book out. It's called Life is Short, Don't Wait to Dance. And um, obviously dance is a metaphor for anything that you do in life that makes your heart sing or your voice sing. Uh, and it can be found on my website, which is officialmisspell.com. But <laughs> uh, when you go to my shop on my website, officialmisspell.com, I've got a bunch of swag. And I have to say the quality of my swag is really, really good. I had nothing to do with it. So I want to give a shout out to my manager who developed it all. It's really cool and good quality stuff. And there's something on there that is, I just recently put on, it's a head, it's a head scarf, it's a head covering, it's a mask, that's a gator. And so it's really good, good, good quality. It's got my signature on there, Miss Val. And um, you can wear it as a neck scarf. And then when you're out jogging, you pass somebody, you pull it up. So it covers your, you got your mask on, or if you're out in no man's land all by yourself, you can pull it up and use it as a headband. It's really super cool. And the coolest part about it is that all of the pro- pros- profits, every dime, goes to uh, girls who, who have been rescued from sex trafficking. So I hope your listeners go on there and buy 10 each. And let's just support this community that's helping these girls that have been rescued from sex trafficking. That is amazing. Thank you for, for sharing that and for doing that work. I think that is really powerful. Yeah, this has been fun. Let's do this again sometime. Yes, I would love that. <laughs> There's so it's so funny. I had this whole list of questions and didn't really ask it. <laughs> um, but I always love to close. Um, you've already given, I mean, just amazing advice, and I feel like you just are a fountain of wisdom. Uh, but just to close, is there one piece of advice or a thought that you would like to leave people with? Um. Yes. And that is, we are all struggling at some extent. We, even before COVID, but right now it's even worse. And um, if we can, we need to be able to find the gratitude through the struggle. We, I don't want, I don't want to wait for COVID to be over to start living my life. I don't want to waste this time. And so Uh, When I was diagnosed with breast cancer, I heard very clearly, be anxious for nothing and grateful for all things. And so when you think about living your life in gratitude, it leaves no space in your brain to be anxious. And especially now, um, if we can just take multiple moments of pause during our day, breathe and and keep reiterating one thing that you're grateful for. Um, it will help us live and grow through this time, not just go through this time 
or get through this time, but truly grow through it as, as humans. Mm, that, that advice resonates with me so much. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, this has been great. Thanks for what you're doing. You're doing great work. Thank you. Well, you have an awesome rest of your day and um, I hope that you grow through this week. <laughs> Thank you. You as well. What an honor to have Miss Bell on the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that you enjoyed the episode. If you want to support survivors of sex trafficking, head on over to officialmissbell.com and pick up a mask. If you liked what you heard today, order her book and definitely watch her TED Talk. I've linked to all of these in the show notes. If this episode spoke to you and brings to mind someone in your life, I hope that you'll share it with them. It would mean a lot to see this message spread to the folks who need to hear it. If you are working on wrecking your own perfection and want to overcome feelings of self-doubt and step into your courage to live the life you want, I'd love to work with you as your coach. You can find me over at wreckyourperfection.com and for a limited time, I'm offering discounted coaching services as I accumulate my practicum hours. I hope you're walking away with something today. I want you all to know that you are awesome. You are a superhero that only you can be. You are so much more powerful and courageous than you know, and you are capable of making everything that you imagine a reality. If it seems unrealistic, it's just because you haven't made it a reality yet. But that doesn't mean that it won't become one. Until next time, be well, fail big, and go wreck your perfection.